0: You to take it up and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 is uh, where we'll be. We'll actually be the end of uh, Colossians 3 and the beginning of Colossians 4 is where we'll be uh, this morning. So we're excited for the opportunity to continue our studies in the book of Colossians. If you're visiting with us, know that it's a great privilege to have you. We're glad that you've come to be with us this morning. And um, it is our desire to, uh, to make much of Christ and to honor Him, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. We have been in the middle of a series that we've called Unparalleled. Um, it is a study in the book of Colossians, and so uh, we're glad that you have, are here to join us. And we're actually finding ourselves on the tail end of that study, and glad that you're here. Um, <clears throat> It's spring break, as many of you know, spring break in the Maple Grove School District. And so we, as a, my family, had an opportunity to take a little journey. And so we, here's, a, here's proof that we actually, there we are. Um, we, took our, we made our way to Mount Rushmore and had a, had a few days there, did the Badlands, and a journey that many of you are familiar with because you've told me. Um, and so it's a great, it's a great time. And we had, we had a great time together as a family. Um, and as we were there, one of the things that struck me was, going through the museum and going through the memorial, then there was actually a significant amount of time that was spent on those who were working on the mountain. And so there's there's just a reminder, you just kind of look at what these workers were. There was about 400 workers who made Mount Rushmore what it is or what we're able to view today. Um, And I was struck by just the well, one, the danger uh, that they were in, um, and just it was just it was just fascinating just to look at these pictures and to consider the amount of time and and, and effort that was put into uh, and, and the the thought not only in the design but also in the skill of the people that actually made this work that that there were people that were the dynamite. People, you know, that actually had the skill to know exactly how much dynamite to put into particular places, so they wouldn't blow off a nose or something like that. You know, I mean, it was staggering to me. Like, I think about dynamite, I get scared. Let alone light it. Um, but it's just fascinating. I mean, I can't even hardly carve a pumpkin, let alone carve a mountain. It's just, I was just amazed by this whole thing. And I wonder if part of my amazement, not only just in the monument itself, and the work that was done. But part of it was thinking through uh, Paul's instruction was has been in my mind and been on my mind for some time as he's been instructing the church in, in Colossae, now he's starting to help them think through what it looks like for them to have faith, Jesus who is their identity, Christ who is their life, they have found their significance, value, and self-worth in Christ and in Christ alone, and now he's been working that out. This is the implications for that in your marriage. This is the implications for that in your parenting. And now he's saying, this is the implications for that in your work, in your relationship with work, your employee and employer relationship. Paul is helping them wrestle through this idea of faith and work in what they do. And that's an important discussion for us. It's an important discussion for Christians because I think... Um, one of the things, or maybe one of the unfortunate things for people in my position when teaching, and, 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 and I, I include myself in this, is the implication that we give you is that your job, the interaction between faith and your work, is that you're supposed to go out and just evangelize the people that you work with. You're supposed to go and tell them about Jesus. You're supposed to take the card and give them an invitation to bring them to our church. And that's primarily what it looks like for you to integrate your faith and work and in your life. Or the other way that it's sort of phrased is, you go out there and make a whole bunch of money and then give it to us so that we can do church, right? I think there's more to that. I think there's more than, than, the, the, than these two sort of options when it comes to a robust way of thinking through what it means to integrate our faith with our work. The text that we actually have before us actually deals with slaves and, and masters, right? Slaves and masters. Now, before we actually get to the text, I want to just to take a moment to address this, because some will take a text like this and say, "See, the Bible is regressive, because it endorses and teaches slavery," and they will go to texts like this. That's that's actually couldn't be further from the reality or from or further from the truth. The Bible nowhere condones, teaches, or endorses slavery. At least. In this sense, the context that we're familiar with it, with regards to bringing uh, Africans and, and enslaving them, That's, the Bible doesn't do any of those. It doesn't condone any of that. Paul is actually speaking to a particular group of people at a particular time and interacting with them on how they live out their faith at their, in their particular way, at the culture, at the time of the culture in which they lived in. So, for instance, the Romans, uh, were Roman, Rome was full of slaves. It es- it's estimated by scholars that one-third of the inhabitants of Rome were actually of the social class that would have been considered slaves. People came into slavery as prisoners of war, or con- they were convicts, or they entered through debt. They couldn't, they couldn't pay back a debt, and so they, uh, they, they worked off their debt, as it were, or through being b- born into a family that was already in, in slavery. This was the reality of the culture into which Paul was speaking because into the church in, in Colossae would have been those who would have been slaves and those who would have been masters. And so he's speaking directly to those people. The closest relationship we have to the dynamic, this, the slave-master dynamic is employee and employer. And that's where we'll spend our time. This is the relationship that is most closely resembles what he's speaking to us. So Paul then begins, I want to begin our discussion with some basic instructions that Paul gives, first employees and then employers, basic instructions. To employees, he says this, this would be verse 22 of Colossians 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord it says employees, very straightforwardly, employees are to obey their boss. You're supposed to do what your boss tells you to do. That's what, that's what you're to do. You're supposed to do what your boss tells you to do. You're to obey your boss, and you're to do, obey your boss, not only when your boss is there, but also when your boss isn't there, and you're to obey him as if he or she were actually there. You need to obey your boss. That's what Christians ought to do, is we ought to be those who obey our boss, not only in the happy and pleasant things, but also in the unpleasant things. We are to do what our boss asks us to do, whether they are there or not there. Pretty straightforward. This is a general rule, of course. This, is not, this doesn't mean if your boss is asking you to do something immoral. If your boss is asking you to do something unjust, Paul's not suggesting that you obey everything that your boss does, but is saying, as generally speaking, Christian employees are to obey their boss in all things, the happy things, the uncomfortable things, do what your boss asks you to do all the time, whether your boss is there or isn't there. The goal of the Christian employee, I think, is to ask this question, how can I make my boss successful? How can I, as an employee, add to the success of my employer? How can I make my boss successful? And you say, yes, Pastor, I understand. I understand it's very straightforward, but you don't know my boss. My boss is a jerk. You don't know my boss is unfair. You don't understand. He's passed me over so many times for a promotion and given it to people that are less qualified and have put in less time than I I have. You don't understand My boss is egotistical and takes credit for all of the work that we do and takes the credit as if he did it himself. My boss blames me for all of his mistakes when we didn't make the mistakes at all. You don't understand. You're right. I don't understand your particular work situation. But what I do understand is what the Bible clearly teaches, which is you are to obey your boss, not based on your boss being a nice person, not based on you were in a a just work environment. You are to obey your boss. Why? Because you have a higher boss, which is the Lord. Because you're not just working for your boss who is a jerk and egotistical and takes all the credit. You're working for the Lord, he says, with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You want to seek your boss's success because not for the success, not merely for the success of your earthly boss but ultimately because you have a heavenly one. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. You're not working primarily for your earthly master. You're working for your heavenly one. You're not working primarily for a promotion or for the raise that you will receive because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Which, and he has greater abundance than any earthly organization or company, no matter how successful it is. And so we're working for one who has a greater inheritance, a greater abundance. You're not working for a just you're not working in a just environment now. Life is unfair. But the Lord whom we serve our ultimate boss, our heavenly one is always fair and is always just and with him there is no favoritism and he is the one for which we work. He says. This is why as an employee we are to be good employees and seek the success of our boss regardless of what face our boss has or how just or unjust they are. Then he switches and he moves from the employee to the employer, and he gives instruction. This itself is actually significant, because in the congregation to whom he is writing, there would have been those who are employees and those who are employers, and he is giving them equal footing and equal grounding. He's giving dignity to both the employee and the employer. So even in him addressing both of them, he's giving dignity to both of these roles. And he says this, Master's Provide your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. To those who are here this morning, who have people that report to you, he says to you, do what is right and fair. What's the Christian boss ought to do? What does that ought to look like? When you have people that are underneath you, you are to do what is fair and right. To the best of your ability, you are to create a culture, to facilitate a culture for those who report to you, those who work to you. That is an environment that is fair, that is just, that is above board, and it is a place where people, if they have the opportunity, want to work. They want to have you as their boss. Because they know, while you have to make difficult decisions and while you may make decisions that they don't like, at least they know you're seeking to do so in a culture that is right and fair. Look, I, I, this isn't lost on me. I have a staff that works for me. This idea that, so, so me too, as I seek to create a culture for those who work here. It's the intent of our, or we have a culture that is centered around three primary values. One is Respect. That we will choose to treat one another with respect, in our emails, in our conversation, in our language, we will, it's not it's not an absence of fun, but it's one of respect. And then we'll and then it's the second value is trust, that we will choose to trust one another. We will give one another the benefit of doubt. It's not that we swip, we swipe things under the rug. No, we deal with we deal with issues. We deal with the challenges. We deal with the reality of of ministry life, and yet we do so from a position of trust. Trust also means. That I allow my, my, the people who work for me real, op, real, real authority to make real decisions that really matter in their ministries, that they're not just doing what I, what I tell them to do, that we're trying to raise them up as leaders so they get to give them real authority to make real decisions that really matter. And I'm choosing to trust them. And then finally, then that breeds openness, when you know you work in a place that you're respected and where you're trusted then it ought to breed openness so we can have open, honest conversations. For this, is, do we do it perfectly? No. But is it our, have I had to apologize? Yes. For not acting in ways in which, not facilitating the culture in which we're trying, to, we're trying to create. And yet, as best as I understand, we want to create a culture which is fair and just. Will we do it perfectly? No. But can we get better at it progressively? Absolutely. As, and so as we are those who, if you are here this morning and you have people who are underneath you, what type of environment are you seeking to create for those who are your employees or those who report to you? And why do we do this? Well, we want to show value and we want to show dignity to the people who are there. Yes, yes, yes. But ultimately, because I serve a higher master and so do you. We don't understand what it is to be those who are under authority. And I too am under authority and so are you. And so therefore... How has our heavenly father, how has our heavenly boss been with us? So shouldn't we seek to be fair and just and gracious and compassionate to those who report to us? We have instruction, clear and simple, straightforward instruction from the scriptures as it relates to employees and to employers. As we seek to live these things out, we are working for the Lord. But it, as I think these things through and say, okay, that's great that we're working for the Lord, and I will do this. But what, what does God actually think of my work? Not just my work. What does God think of your work? What does God, what's God's view of work in general? What does God think about work? That's an important question because if we're going to obey the instructions that God gives us as it relates to how, as employees and as employers, then we need to have a foundation, as if you like, a theology of work. And I, I won't be able to go through all of this and there's so much that we could discuss and so important for you and for us and our, and our, as we spend out and work out our faith and work. But let me begin by giving you four things, four things that God believes, God's plan for work, God's plan for work because he says in verse 23 whatever you do work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord not your human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving what does he think about our work first is this that we were made to work we were made to work Genesis chapter 2. If you you want to go to the the beginning of your Bible, you can. We're going to spend the remainder of our time really kind of kicking around in the first couple chapters of Genesis. So if you'd like to spend some time there. Otherwise, you can just trust me. Always risky. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 say this. By the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he, had been, that he had done. And then verse 15 says, And the Lord took man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. So at the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of creation, the very beginning of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, the first couple chapters of the Bible, what we find is God working. We're, we're introduced to work and God is the one doing it. That's what it says. It says, God had finished the work that he had been doing. He rested from all of his work. He made the day holy because he rested from all of his the work of creating that he had been done. What is the work that God is doing? God is creating, and it is the work of God. He's creating, he's making. And on the seventh day, he had been, he stopped doing the work. We're introduced to the concept of work at the very beginning of the Bible, and God is the one who is doing it. He's working. Why is God working? Because he was bored? Is he working because he had nothing better to do? No, he's working because he wanted to. God chose to. He's working because he wanted to. And then he was also working because when he had looked at his work, what does it say? He, was, he, he created, and he looked, and he said, it was very good. Because he liked it. Because it gave him joy. He worked because he wanted to, and because it gave him joy. He was creating because he wanted to, and because it gave him joy. He created. Not only does God... Create the work that he does to create, but then he also does the work of caring for the very creation that he made. So what does he do then? Then he makes man. He creates man and woman, humankind, in the garden. For what purpose? To work it and to take care of it. God then takes care of his creation by creating humankind for the purpose of what? Caring for the very creation that he had made. You see, he is the God, so he not only does he create and do the work, but then he provides, he, cre- he made us so that we could join him in the caring, in the, the culture of caring for the very creation that he made. And then he provides everything we need in order that we might be able to do the work of caring for and cultivating the creation that he has made. This is what God has done. He made us to work. To cultivate the earth. To care for his creation. You are designed to work. You are designed to work. And God works through humankind in order to care for the very creation that he has made. God worked. And then man works. (laughs) God took man and placed him in the garden to work it and to care for it. Verse 15. Humans were created to work. Humans were created to work while still in paradise. Got it? Work is not a curse. Although it may feel that way when you're getting out of bed tomorrow. It's not a curse. You were created, so your attitude towards your work, to the work that you have in front of you, ought to be one that this is what I was created to go do. It's not a a a result of sin. It's not a result of the brokenness of the fall. It's not a result. No, you were created in order that you may work. Now, there is struggle, and there is toil, and there is hardship, and there is tension, and there is weariness that comes from work. That all is a result of the fall, but work in and of itself is not a result of sin or the brokenness of our world, which means what? It means if we, were, if Adam and Eve were created in paradise to work and to tend to this creation, that when in the new heavens, and the new earth, in the new creation, there will be work to do. You will be working for all of eternity because work is not a result of the fall all work is what you were designed to do and work is what you will do for all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth but there will not be toil there will not be pain it will be joy and it will be something that you will want to do just like god did he wanted to do it and in it found great joy and so will we so those of you who were retired here said i'm done with this whole work thing no you're not you're taking a little break you got all of eternity to look forward to Dorothy Sayers, uh, a writer from the 1900s in, in Europe, says this What is the Christian understanding of work? Is it, not primar- it is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he offers himself to God. What is our work? It's an offering to God where we're using our gifts, talents, resources. We're we're putting those things to use and we're offering ourselves with all of our gifts, talents, and resources through our work to God, to God. What does this mean? Well, a lot of things, but at at the very minimum that you will only be in alignment with how you were made When you are thinking out your work and I'm not talking about just having a job you see for those of you who have retired doesn't mean you get out of this actually that you have work to do whether it's whatever that work is or if you think out what is purposefully and intentionally how are you living out your life it ought not just be so you can go fossilize in Florida for half of the year there needs to be more to that because you were made for this you were, well, i got to move on because there's lots to say, so I've got to keep moving. So first of all, first of all, we were made to work. Second of all is this, all work matters. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let, let, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and so they... May, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God created humankind in his image. We are the image bearers of God, and this is so significant. This is so significant. Tim Keller says this, all work of all kinds, whether, the, whether with the hands or the mind, evidences our dignity as human beings because it reflects the image of God, the creator in us. No matter what your job is, God created all things and he created humankind, men and women with a specific role. And that was to work. Because we are imaging him, God worked. And so God made us in his image. And so therefore we work. You see, this is, this, this is his image in us. Only we as humankind, only we as human beings have been given the assignment to rule over and to work. This is what God gave us to do. This is, and this is us bearing his image in this world. Humankind was given one job or a specific job that no one else could do. Because we are the only ones who are the image bearers of our creator. It's said that rulers in the Near Near East, ancient Near East, in all of the territories that they had authority over, in all of the areas that they would rule and reign over, that they would put images of themselves in those places. There would be statues or there would be images that would be on the wall or on certain documents, and the reason that they would do this is to remind the people of the one who has the rule and the reign. There's the image that is there that is present in order that those people who live there might be reminded who the authority is. God has put his image on earth. It's you and me, in order that we might be able to remind to be reminded of, of the one who has authority over all things. God has put us here, his image here, in order that we, and he has given us uh, the opportunity. We are the image of God on earth, and he has called us, as it were, to stand in God's place. In, instead of God, here we are, in God's stead, as it were. Here we are in order that we might what? Do the work that God has called us to do. Do the work that God began. God began the work of creating. God has put us here in order that we might continue to keep doing this work of creating culture. Continuing to care for and bring order out of chaos. To create civilization out of material and physical human nature. That we care for all things that he has made. And this is a major part of why we were here. Why we're created so that we could do the work that God has called us to do. What does this mean? Well, it means that every single job matters. If, this is, if, if we are image bearers, and we are here to be able to continue on the work that God has called us to do, that means that every job matters. That means that all work has dignity. Because we, in American culture, have a tendency... To stigmatize certain jobs over other jobs, to, to certain jobs have a particular stigma. I, I won't. I won't take time to go through it now. But I was reading yesterday on this the the, the stat, statistics of the jobs that millennials will are, are going to gravitate to or hope that they want to get into, and and then the the huge gap in the workforce that will take place if they take those jobs, if they only go after those jobs, the jobs of doctors and lawyers and and video game <laughs> creators. To be honest, it's true. Because we have a tendency to think of knowledge jobs as the as the preferred jobs, the jobs as opposed to gardening or farming or or childcare, and so we we have a discrepancy in pay. But that we don't find that we find that in our culture, but we don't find that in the Bible. God created. God created. He created with his words. He created with his hands. He. When Jesus came, he could have come as a philosopher. He didn't come as a philosopher. He came as a carpenter. He came as a carpenter, but presumably a good one. I don't know. I mean, think about, think about cleaning. This week, we, as I mentioned, we, we, we stayed in a hotel for a couple nights, and, and the particular hotel that we were in also happened to have a free breakfast. And so one of the nights that we were there, the, whole, the hotel was completely sold out. And so what happens is when the hotel is completely sold out, they offer a free breakfast that's only a couple of hours. Everybody comes at those times, and there was one lady, one lady who was working, this poor woman, was working the breakfast thing, right? And so, she, you know, they're running out of everything, and she's just running back and forth between the, this little kitchenette thing and trying to, and people are there, and there's just not enough tables, and the trash is overflowing, and so here comes this guy to come to do the trash guy. But, and so I was just, like, feeling so bad for these people because there's just massive just vacationers you know, like, you know, not always happy people. And there's this woman working her tail off, right? She'll try to give us eggs, you know, it's like, geez, you know. Um, But the thought occurred to me, what if she wasn't there? I mean, what if if she wasn't there? What if the guy didn't empty the trash? Then the trash overflows. And then people like me get on websites and start saying, horrible, dirty, terrible. What happens? What happens if the person didn't come in and clean up our room? because my kids are filthy like what would happen I mean there's just dirt and stuff and then I go away I look at some monuments I come back and it's clean it's like magic I wish it happened in my house it doesn't happen in my house but what if they weren't there then the thing goes out of business doesn't it eventually it goes what if what if nobody cleans your house you know what happens if nobody cleans your house whether you do it or you pay somebody to do it you die you do because eventually there's filth and there's disease, and it eventually it leads to your death if nobody cleans your house. Because why? Every job has a role in the flourishing of humanity, regardless of what the job is. Every job has a role, every job has dignity and significance because it helps with human flourishing. And that's the work that God has called us to be a part of. That's what God has called you to be a part of. The material creation was made by God to be developed and cultivated and cared for in an endless number of ways through human labor and all of them matter so that we can flourish. Okay, I'll keep moving. Oh my, all right, we're gonna keep moving faster. All right, uh, th- so thirdly, work as creation. So Genesis one twenty eight says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it, the fish of the sea, sea, the birds of the air, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Humans are to fill the earth and to, and to be fruitful and multiply. Humans are to, to subdue the earth and to represent God to see the flourishing of humanity of all creation. Adam and Eve, what does this mean? Adam and Eve, when God created them, what did he create them to do? They were gardeners. They were to tend to the Garden of Eden. What, what do gardeners do? Well, they rearrange the dirt and stuff in order that it f- 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 may flourish. That, 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 that food may come from the ground in order to draw out the, the ground's potential. That's, that's what gardeners do. And our work is the same. We are to rearrange the raw materials in order to bring out something that is fruitful, something that is beneficial for humankind. We rearrange the raw materials of, the, of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and to flourish. And this pattern is found in all different kinds of, of work, all different areas of work. So farming takes the raw material of seed and soil and turns it into food. Music takes the raw material of physics and sound and turns it into something beautiful that gives that's life-giving to us. So. We, we bring and bring things to life. We take fabric and make it into clothing. We take a broom and we, we turn it, we, make, we, we clean. We use technology to harness the forces of electricity. We take the, an unformed mind and we teach it to read. We teach a couple who is struggling to how to resolve their relational differences. We take simple materials and turn them into art. We are continuing the work when we do these things. We are continuing the work of forming and fulfilling and subduing the earth. We are bringing order out of chaos. What does this mean? It means that no matter what our job is, it matters to God that we are joining, it has dignity, and we are joining God in the work that he is doing. And finally this, work as service. Work as service. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Your daily work can be God's calling on your life. Your work can become a calling only when we understand it to be an assignment that God has given us. We will only obey our masters when we recognize that when we put our our work into the larger story of all that God is doing, that we are ultimately serving him, that we're serving our heavenly master, that we have been on assignment from God. And as Christians, therefore, we choose... We, we do not choose jobs and conduct our work primarily to fulfill ourselves or to accrue power. But rather we do we fulfill the work that we do and choose the jobs we choose for the best way for us to be able to be commissioned and by the way we've been gifted by God and the way we can we can serve others. That's how we choose the jobs. That's how we choose the work. Because there's so many people that get into jobs that they hate because they got in it for the power or for the money and not because of their gifting and not because of the way that they were actually made. But as Christians, we say, this is how God wired me. This is how God made me. And so therefore, I want to honor him and follow after him by loving him, by honoring the way he made me and choosing jobs that align with that. So we, the, question, we, the question regarding the work that we do is not what will make me the most money or give me the most status, but rather how with all of my gifting and abilities can I be of greatest service to others and to help human flourishing? Or what's the best use of my life for the kingdom of God? How can I best use who I am, how God made me to serve others and to serve his purposes? On July 15th and 2016, July 15th of 2016, um, the last surviving person who worked on Mount Rushmore turned 95 years old. His name was Don, nicknamed Cliff, or Nick Clifford. (laughs) He worked on the project from 1938 to 1941 before going back to his mining job in Keystone, South Dakota. He was paid 55 cents an hour which would be the equivalent of $9.40 in today's dollars. He was the youngest person to work on the project at the time. And when he was interviewed last July, he said this, At first, the project was just a job. You went up there, you went to work, you did your job, and didn't think much about it. You might have thought, would, would it ever be completed one day? But the more you worked the more familiar you became with your job, the more important the project became to each of us. And that's why we came back every year. We became attached to that mountain more and more every year, to Mr. Borglum and to Lincoln. You see, it started out as just a job, and then he saw his job as part of a grander story. And now, people from all over our country go to watch this monument because they saw, because, because of the work that this man and his, and his 400 other colleagues did. We can go, we can go about life just doing our job day to day, whatever else, unless, and we will do that unless we see our work in a larger story of all that God is doing. Do you see the grand privilege that you get to play of being able to cultivate and create, and because we are the unique image bearers of God here? It is a grand privilege that you get to get up and go to work tomorrow morning, that you get to get up and put your hand to something because God has called you to do this. We're a part of his larger story. May God, there's so much more that we can say on this thing. I will not say more. I will stop. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of work, for the privilege of being useful, for the privilege of joining you in all that you are doing. And Father, we've only begun to scratch the surface of these things, and yet um, it's important for us to at least begin to have a foundation to start thinking these things out. Will you help us to honor you? Our desire is to honor you in all that we do, and so will you help us to that end this week? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.